Would you open your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Galatians? I'm really excited to begin this study with you that will start today. And if the Lord wills, we'll carry this forward all the way into December of just a verse-by-verse exposition through the book of Galatians. And while we are doing this during the Sunday mornings, uh, you have an opportunity to join a home small group where they're discussing this book of Galatians as well. When you came in today, you might have seen some of these. Uh, This is, I'll call it a companion towards the sermon series. Uh, It's independent. We didn't write this. But what will take place is you will actually study the passage in advance and then come to church on Sunday and you will already have a good idea of what that passage is. And so during this fall... We will have an opportunity just to immerse ourselves into this book together. And even if you are not in a small group, you can pick up one of those studies. And maybe you want to do that by yourself or with some friends. I'm excited to say that today is the first day of our our fall uh, small groups. I think we have like eight or nine small groups that are meeting, and and it's a a great time. We've we've seen that grow a little bit since last time we met. So we're excited to launch it this week, and Lord willing, we'll be multiplying those groups in the several months to come. Well, please look with me at Galatians 1 as we cover the first 10 verses together this morning. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Our great King, the one who has created not only this world, but all the universes, we love you, we, we appreciate you, we, it's humbling for us to think that you even care about us, and that your design for our lives is to have a relationship with you. So we say thank you, thank you for meeting with us today. And we thank you for this glorious news that you've given to us that through your son's death and resurrection and faith in him, 
we could have a relationship with you. We thank you for this book, one of the 66 in the Bible, that just drives home this point that we are only saved by faith in what Jesus has done. So I pray for just a very crystal clear message, not only this morning, but as we embark on this study through this book together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today by telling you of a teenager. A teenager that I think would be good for us all to be aware of. Her name was Jane Gray. She was born in 1537 and executed in 1554. Executed? For what crime, you might ask? For her belief that the only way that you can be saved from your sins is by faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and an empty tomb. Jane Grey was 17 years old when she was sentenced to be beheaded in London. She was sent a Catholic chaplain by the name of John Feckenham. And he would enter her cell in which he would debate with her. He was trying to save her life by having her recant of her beliefs. So he pressed that justification or being saved from your sins comes by faith and works. But she stood her ground and said, no, it's by faith alone. Well, then he asserted that the Lord's Supper's bread and wine are the very body and blood of Christ. But she maintained that those were only elements that symbolized Jesus' saving work. Then he affirmed that the Catholic Church authority was alongside of Scripture. But she insisted that the church sits underneath the piercing gaze of God's Word. And then John, this, this Catholic chap in Freckenham, said, I suppose we will never see one another again, speaking of her eternal destiny. And this 17-year-old Jane said, That's true. We shall never meet again unless God turns your heart. Just a few days later, she is brought out in front of her executioner on the morning of February 12th to the wall of the center white tower there in London where there's a small crowd and then there's the executioner. And as she looked on to the onlookers, she announced, I do not look to be saved by no other mean, but by the mercy of God and in the blood of His only Son, Jesus Christ. And then she knelt and recited Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. She was blindfolded. And she kind of groped her way to the execution block and laid her head in its groove. And the last sound that the crowd heard before the axe thudded into the block was a prayer from Jane's 17-year-old voice that said, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So ended the life of Lady Jane Grey, the teenage martyr. I want to hold her up to you as a hero today. And what was it that put her there on that chopping block. It was her insistence that the only way that one can be saved from their sins 
was to place their faith in Jesus alone. And if I could boil down the message of Galatians to one little phrase, it says, we are saved by our sins, by Jesus alone. Today, we will begin this study through the book of Galatians. And as we look at the first 10 verses, I have a simple little outline for you to follow. If you have an outline, you can use that with you. The first is we're going to look at the messenger. Secondly, we'll look at this message. And then thirdly, we'll look at the mode, the way that he conveyed this message. Let's first consider then the messenger. The messenger, Paul, has been sent by God to deliver the message that man is saved by faith alone. Look at what it says there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Many of you are aware of some background of Paul. In the second half of chapter 1, spilling over into the first part of chapter 2, he will present to us an autobiography of a story. So I won't go into all those details this morning because we'll get to it in the coming weeks. But you probably are aware that Paul was a very driven man, kind of a type A personality. He was a high achiever, but he had his path bent on the wrong direction. He was not always a follower of Jesus. To the contrary, he actually opposed the ways of Christ. One day with some arrest warrants in his hands, he was on his way to persecute some Christians. And on that path, the Bible tells us in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts that the resurrected Messiah met him and challenged him, and he became born again right there on that path. And he became a new creation. At the same time, Jesus was raising up another man named Ananias, who would begin to disciple him. And he, he said, have you heard of Paul? And we read about this account in Acts 9. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who carry your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. In his salvation story, there was a prophecy that foretold that one day Paul would not only be saved of his sins, but he would proclaim this wonderful good news to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the kings. We see this commissioning take place. And just a few chapters later, in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, in the first three verses it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. When it says here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, 
That word apostle is very significant. It's not to be used interchangeably with the word disciple. A disciple is a student, a follower. This word apostle means one who is commissioned to go, one who has been sent. And what Paul is doing in the opening words of this letter, he is laying a foundation of his credentials of authority. He is saying, I'm an apostle, not from men, nor through man. He is saying, I'm not an apostle because I made friends with Peter, James, and John. No, I'm an apostle, as it says there in verse 1, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, if you've read through the book of Acts, Acts 13 and 14, you will see that Paul on his first missionary journey, was sent to go to this region of Galatia. Look at what it says there in verse 2. And to all the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia. Now, there were other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. He wrote to Ephesus. He wrote to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Corinth, to Rome. And all of these are cities. But Galatia is not a city. It is a region. So if you flip over your outline, you'll see a map. The words are really small, but hopefully you can see in the middle of that map, Galatia, this large region. And we read about in the second half of Acts 13 and all of Acts 14, how Paul was sent into this area, and he would go like this. He'd take that message of the good news. He would enter into a house of worship for the Jews called a synagogue. And then he would present the message. You can read this for yourself in the second half of Acts 13. And the message would be in a survey or a flyover of the Old Testament. And he would tell about all the storyline of the Old Testament... But then he would eventually land that message in the airfield of Jesus' cross and the resurrection. And he would call people to faith, placing their trust in Jesus to be saved from their sins. And there are three different responses. There were some that says, I'm in. I place my faith to have my sins forgiven in what Jesus has done. There were others that says, I need more time. Come back next week. And there were others that said, I want nothing to do with this message, and I want nothing to do with you. In fact, what we see in these chapters in Acts is what would happen as he would preach this message, there would be inevitably people that would chase him out of town, and he would go on to the next town in Galatia. And so when we talk about planting churches, and my dream is for one day Highland Crest to be a part of planting churches, we ought to see that this is a very difficult task. For Paul, it meant being persecuted. In fact, we read in Acts 14, verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. It got violent. They were so opposed to this message of Jesus by faith alone, that they actually went to physical force, taking stones and throwing them at Paul to the point 
where he passed out. And his enemies thought he was dead. We read in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Then on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So the messenger is Paul. He is an apostle. He has been sent by God. And he is sending this letter to the Christians there of the churches of Galatia. So he is the founding pastor to all these different churches in Galatia. He has a heart for these people. He knows these people and something has happened. And while he arrived in Galatia and preached this message of Jesus that you are saved by faith alone, there have been false teachers that have come after. And they have clouded this message. So first we've considered the messenger. Now let's consider the second part, the message. The message that one is saved by grace through faith alone. Look at what it says there. God's message through Paul begins with grace. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is fitting during this message for Paul to begin with this word, grace. Because if you're familiar with this book of Galatians, grace is exactly what's being undermined throughout this letter. Since Paul left, other teachers have begun attending these churches in Galatia. And they are teaching, listen to this, in order to be saved, you must obey Moses' law. You must be circumcised. You must practice the rituals and ceremonies of Moses' law. We see evidence of this in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, in what was called the Jerusalem Council. It says there, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching to the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a heresy. It's called the Judaizer heresy. What they believed is that, yes, Jesus did die and that he was raised to life. And you must keep the law. It reminds me of when we have gone to Senegal on mission. We go out to Neomoon Island and share the gospel with the people there on that island. Many of those are a part of ancestral worship where they worship various spirits. But there is also a church there that emphasizes being baptized as babies and doing good works. So the times that representatives from our church have gone and preached the gospel that you are only saved through faith alone. And we we point to Jesus' substitutionary death and how they must repent of their sins. You know what happens? So many of them say, well, I will do that. But what they mean is they will just add that to all of their works and to all the sacrifices that they are offering to these spirits. And that might have been what was taking place here in Galatia. It's not that I don't believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he was raised to life, but I must also add to that. His work is not sufficient. He might have started it, but Moses had to complete it. Or I 
have to complete it. But when we say that this message is by faith alone, that alone means that we are not trusting in anyone or anything else, but completely what Jesus has done. It begins with grace. Grace is receiving the forgiveness as the gift that it is. Just a couple of days ago, one of my boys had a birthday. And he had some of his friends gather. And I'm guessing their moms and dads were very gracious to purchase some gifts or some cards. And at the end of that gathering, there was a time where those gifts were opened. Now imagine my son Moses as he was about ready to open a gift, says, I can't take this. Here, I've got a used stick of gum in my pocket. How about, how about I give this to you in an exchange for this gift that you have given to me? Would that not be offensive? Don't you understand what we are attempting to do is be a blessing to you? We don't want your dirty used stick of gum in exchange for this. Just received the gift, will you please? It's the same way when we try to add to the precious gift that has been provided for us in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see how offensive it would be to him to say, I realize you did that. But i got to do something to get this and earn this. You cannot do anything to earn it. It says grace to you and peace. We can have peace with God through Jesus' death. Secondly, we see under this that God's message through Paul was about rescue. You see it in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. The word deliver there means rescue. To deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This word deliver or rescue in the Greek is used two different times in the book of Acts. One to describe how prisoners were set free, the Israelites from the Egyptians in Acts 7 verse 34, and how Paul was delivered from Herod's prison in Acts 12 verse 11. It means to be set free. What are we set free from? According to verse 4, from our Sins and the consequences of those sins. You see, the good news is offensive news to us. We don't need a better education. We don't need a bigger or more efficient government. What in the world is wrong? We are. Our sin is our greatest problem. And the good news is honest news that tells us that our problem is a defiance against the holy God. And one who is drowning does not need a manual on how to swim. They need a Savior that will jump into water to rescue them. It says here in verse 4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins. That is, he laid his life down. He gave his life so that we might have eternal life. And no other work is needed. The good news is humbling news. I have to admit, I need to be rescued. I'm imprisoned in my sin. I'm I'm sinful and I'm wicked. And the good news might seem foolish. Are you telling me 
that a man that died over 2,000 years ago, that that death has some bearing on my life today? Yes. He died a sinless life in your place, and he was raised to life. And this was according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So often we think that the, the greatest purpose of Jesus' death was so that he could prove his love for me. And while there's some truth to that, what we ultimately see is that he did it for his Father's glory. And that we give the Father glory when we place our faith and put all of our trust in what Jesus has done for us. So there's the messenger. There is the message. And then finally, let us consider the mode. Paul is furious with the Galatians for abandoning this good news. He had literally laid his life down when he was with them to make sure that they understood this clear message. He stepped back now, and now that message is cloudy. Often, when Paul begins his letters, he would do it with the words of encouragement. Consider Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Or Colossians 1, 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Or 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But that tone is completely absent from his greeting to the Galatians. He comes out swinging in verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. If you extract the gospel that we are saved by faith alone, you don't have a church because this is what the church is built on. You just have a social club that is devoted to good morals. The word desert there in verse 6 means to transfer allegiance. It moves to, means to move away from faith alone to faith and works. That we can't be delivered by Jesus alone, but that we have to deliver ourselves. And do you see this different gospel? We read about it there in verse 6. This different gospel is faith and law, or circumcision equals forgiveness of sins. You see that there is confusion. This word confusion means that it is to shake or agitate. And the word distort in verse 7 is the word to reverse, to turn upside down. For them to desert the true gospel is to desert God. He is saying to them, you so quickly are deserting Him who called you 
in the grace of Christ. And they want you, verse 7, the last part, want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, this isn't Paul's gospel. This is Jesus' gospel. It's possible that as you're reading this, and we go through this in the next couple of weeks, and Paul talks about this vision in which he received this message from God to be passed down to the people in Galatia and passed down to us today, you might say, well, aren't there other people that claim to have a a vision or revelation from, from God, like Joseph Smith? And the answer to that is yes. But the difference with Paul, as we'll find out, is he took this message and he brought it to the disciples and said, I believe this is what the Lord has put on my heart. What do you all think about this? And they said, you know, that's exactly what our master Jesus preached. And that just confirmed the message. We see that this is not Paul's gospel. This is the gospel of Christ. And then secondly, under this category, Paul called for the false teachers to be cursed. Not once, but twice. Look again at verses 8 and 9. But if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. Do you know what he is saying here? If anyone is presenting to you a gospel, a message that is different than you are saved by faith alone, I'm asking that that person be sent to hell. By God. Now that's a pretty strong message, a pretty strong message to get started with, right, in the book here of Galatians. And someone might ask, where is the love here, Paul? Isn't Paul the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that wrote the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he lays out for us this, this magnificent definition of love? Well, imagine for a moment. You had given your life as a master boat builder. And and what you did is you, you had handcrafted boats that you built. And you had done this for decades. And and you had a reputation, so much so that sometimes there would be these young men and women that come alongside and say, We want to learn how to make boats like you do. So they would observe and they would watch and you would teach them. And they would build their own boats. And one day there was a young man that says, my boat is ready. And what I would like to do is put it out on the bay and I'd like to shoot it across the bay to lower Michigan. And as you observe that boat, you say there is no way in the world that that boat is ready to go across the bay. And if this man takes himself and his family They will barely, if not even, make it a mile out on the bay, and they will sink. And my fear is that they will drown and die. And so you say to that young man, listen, your boat is not ready. And he says, well, can't you see how beautiful it is? I spent a lot of time on this boat. Of course it is ready. And you, as a master boat builder, say, listen, I'm just telling you, I see cracks, 
and that will not even make it a mile out on the bay and you will die and all of your family will die. I'm telling you, do not take that boat out on the bay. And he is resistant to your feedback. Well, at some point, the pleasantries go out the window, right? And you do whatever means is necessary. And if that means that you have an angry tone, what you are attempting to do is to save this man and his family from death. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. What is at stake here for this message of this church in Galatia, these churches in Galatia, is the difference between heaven and hell. And he is coming across so strong because if they don't get this message right, these people are not really followers of Jesus. So he comes across strong. And we ought to come across strong as well. There is one message that the church has. It is the gospel. And that we are saved by faith alone. So let me ask you a few questions as we conclude this morning. Number one, have you received this good news? Have you come to the understanding that you are in your sins? That at the core you are a sinner. You are wicked. You need to be forgiven. This is why Jesus has come. And you must trust in what Jesus has done and trust in it alone. I admit to you, when I graduated seminary, I was very naive. I had grown up here in Wisconsin, small towns, some big towns, and and many of the churches that were around on the different street corners, I knew preached a message on works. But I just assumed that in a Baptist church where they, quote-unquote, preached the gospel, that there would be no one in that church that would trust in their works. Melanie and I, I graduated seminary. We went to the first church we served at in Flint, Michigan. And one of the first things we did for the first month is we went through our church roll. And we went and we met with people within that church and over a blueberry pie and over a cup of coffee. I would ask them their testimony. And it was staggering to us how many of them told us that they, were, they would point to the day they were baptized as the day that they were saved. And it occurred to me that this message will never go out of style. We must continually bring us back to this message of Galatians that we are saved by faith alone. You have to believe in what Jesus has done alone. You cannot rest on anything else but that. So I just ask you that question. Have you received this good news? And you might say as we work through the book of Galatians into December, man, it seems like we're we're focusing on that message a lot, faith alone. Well, that is the message of Galatians. Someday I will stand before God and give an account for this church family and others with me. And I'll have to give an account that that message was really clear to you. So I make no apologies about going through this book of Galatians and hitting that drum repeatedly. It is by faith alone in what Jesus has done. Secondly, I want to invite you. Will you go with me into this book of Galatians through this fall? Will you read about this good news with me? 
I would encourage you, you could read this every day. It takes about 25 minutes a day to, to read this and just, just get saturated with this book of Galatians. There's not only this message of faith alone, but there's also something about the Spirit-led life and the fruits of the Spirit that we will cover as well. And if you haven't already, you can grab one of these studies and as a companion work through this series with me. And then thirdly, would you share this good news with me? Would you share this good news with others? Next Sunday, we have a an amazing opportunity. I mean, I look at what took place over this last six or seven days of all the work and the labor that went into that. And there's something so beautiful when God's people get together for a task like this, isn't there? But even something more beautiful when we all labor together for the gospel. And next Sunday, what we would like to do is we'll have our, our Bible study at 9 o'clock. Our worship service will begin at ten fifteen, like it always does. But we're actually going to allow our service to end a little short. We're going to end it around 11 o'clock next Sunday. And this is going to free us up. And we're going to be able to go out and minister to the 80,000 plus that will be descending up here upon Green Bay and in our area to go out and share the gospel. There's ample opportunity for you to get involved. There's a sign-up sheet of various teams from greeters that would just go out into our parking lot with people that will already be parking in our parking spots and just to visit with them and give them a, a gospel track. See if you can pray for them. Another team is a prayer team that will have a a tent positioned out here as people walk by on their way to the game. If there's something that we can do to pray for people, we want to be able to do that. There will be waters, I think hot dogs, that will be served right out here. As people are on their way to the game, we want to be a blessing. I think many people in church, or think when they think of church, think all the people in church want is my money. But this is an opportunity to refute that and say, actually, we want to be a blessing to you. Here's some water. Here's a hot dog. Is there any blessing, any way we can pray for you? And then the bulk of us, it would be magnificent if we could just have a, a number of teams that right after the service, we would actually go out and hand out these rosters and these, these, uh, these gospel tracts to people, thousands of them. It would be incredible. We've been given this prime location. And I can't help but think we've got to leverage that for the gospel. As our music team comes, why don't we just reflect on this message that we are only saved by faith alone in what Christ has done. Would you bow your head with me? And allow me to lead in a prayer and for a time for you to just reflect on this message. Father, what a, what a magnificent thought that as we stand here today reflecting on this precious message, we heard at the beginning of a 17-year-old girl that gave her life defending this truth that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus. And we are the benefactors of her and and so many others that were martyrs to uphold this message so that we might have it today in the Word of God. Lord, I pray for your Spirit now to search our hearts today. And friend, I want you as you're sitting there with us, 
I want to ask you that question. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting in your baptism? Are you trusting in your attendance here today? I want to say the one message that we see in the scriptures that our only hope is what Jesus has done for us. So just transfer all of your hope, all of your dependence by faith onto what he has done for you. Turn from your sins. I don't, I don't want to disobey you. Rescue me. Deliver me from my sin, from the sinfulness of this world. When you do that, the Bible tells us that we're a new creature, that we can look for new fruit, a desire to read the Bible, a desire to be around God's people, a desire to share the good news with others, a desire to love and forgive others. Those of us who have done that, be looking for that fruit, the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Lord, as we start today in the book of Galatians, as we carry this through the fall, I pray that it be crystal clear to us what the church believes about the gospel and how to apply this gospel in our life. And may we, in preparation for next Sunday, say, I will be about sharing that gospel with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.